sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Racism continues to be a topic in news today as it has been for years, decades, and frankly, even centuries as Americans. But what is the Catholic perspective on racism? And just as importantly, what is the Catholic response to racism? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into this topic, hot topic of racism, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you have questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, topic ideas that you'd like us to discuss, please contact us. The easiest way to do so is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. I am joined uh, via the the power of technology today uh, with my longtime nemesis, I mean friend, uh, Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Omar, how are you? Well, now I'm I'm a bit (laughs) (laughs) self-conscious. No, I'm well, Chris. It's good to hear your voice. Good to hear you too. So you've been on the show before, but uh, in case folks haven't had a chance to listen to uh, previous episodes with you, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Not at all. Uh, deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm a deacon of the Archdiocese of Omaha at St. Peter's Parish, uh, and I'm the president and co-founder of the Evangelium Institute, uh, which uh, works here within the Archdiocese and elsewhere to provide sort of dynamic adult formation in the faith. I'm also the director of the Propagation of the Faith Office for the Archdiocese um, and uh, husband to wonderful wife Miriam and father to five kiddos uh, from almost 16 down to one. Yes, yes. Busy life. Yes. Uh, How are the Indians doing this year, Deacon? Actually, we're tied for first right now. Uh, We just uh, beat the Royals. Three times in the late innings because their bullpen is terrible. <laughs> so you you hail from um, the great state that's round on the ends and high in the middle. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I grew up mostly in Cleveland, Ohio. We were my brothers and I were all born in Michigan, but we grew up in Cleveland mostly. So we sort of follow Cleveland sports in that way. Yeah? Yes, very good. Yeah, the Twins are lagging somewhat behind yeah, right now. They started, I, I, I thought they started promising, but then I don't know what's going on. So anyway, we'll discuss uh, America's pastime in another episode. <laughs> yes, we should, we should dedicate an entire episode. Of there we go. Cause but yeah, baseball is like a lot of people would say it's the Catholic sport. So maybe we'll uh, talk about that some other time, but today, uh, but, but this is a, this is a, a dire transition. I mean, <laughs> baseball, <laughs> Racism. Uh, but I actually, I, I'm very much, because you, when, um, uh, one of your last episodes that you recorded, because we've done a few over the last couple of years, but but sort of sharing your story. And even though I've known you for over 20 years, there are aspects of your story that I didn't know about. Um, and, and, and the racism uh, came up a little bit just in your own story. So when you and I were talking about you coming back on the show uh, and, and you discussing something and you threw out there some, I, 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 I very, because it's timely, but then also just because of what you had shared from your own personal experience. So um, today in this episode, we're going to focus on the, um, the, the, the Catholic perspective on racism. Then we're going to get to the response to that problem um, in our next episode. So, so folks, if you're tuning in, this is a two-parter. Um, today is going to be uh, on the Catholic perspective on racism. So, uh, Deacon Omar, I'm just going to let you go, and I'll interrupt and interject as I so please, because this is this my is show, want. darn it. <laughs> 
but I'm, I'm very excited to see. So, so you just go ahead and start us off. Yeah. Um, well, wait, we, we started with uh, baseball, so we'll, we'll, we'll go there. So um, there's a, a, a famous story of a, uh, a young man in his 20s who was a manager for a baseball team. And um, his team was traveling uh, to Notre Dame, actually, to play a baseball game. And they arrived at South Bend. And they were checking into the hotel, and the hotel refused to let their uh, backup catcher um, to stay with the team at the hotel because he was black. Mm. Um, the manager said, uh, well, what if, um, what if you set up a cot in my room and let him stay with me? And they allowed that because it was not uncommon for... Uh, sometimes white people to travel with their black servants. And so that was allowable, uh, but the, the black player was not allowed his own room. So at any rate, uh, they settled in their rooms. The manager left his room, went check on the other players, make sure they were settling in. And he came back to his room and found this black player who, by the way, was a dear friend of his. They played football together, um, sitting on the cot, uh, scratching at his skin uh, and just saying, if I can only make it white, if I can only make it white. Mm. Um, that, that manager was Branch Rickey, um, who ended up becoming uh, the general manager of the uh, Dodgers, uh, who brought in Jackie Robinson um, and helped end uh, the segregation of Major League Baseball. But I tell the story um, because uh, it was it's a it's a really great reminder to me, um, and uh, I think all those who know that story that racism is a is a kind of sin and a kind of rot in the human soul that uh, is not just, um, you know, bad, right? That it, it affects the psyche of people who experience it. Mm. Um, that it affects people in a way when they experience it that can really um, damage them uh, and, and, and make them uh, think that they're not worthy of love or importance. Now, the wonderful part of the story is that that young player ended up, uh, they lost that game against Notre Dame, but when Notre Dame came back and played at their own home stadium, that young black player uh, hit the game-winning home run wow. that, that beat the team. And then he went on and graduated with a dental degree, moved to Arizona, became a very successful dentist. Uh, and he and Brian Schrinke were friends for, the, for, for all their lives. Um, uh, so uh, whereas racism is a, is a terrible thing that can really hurt somebody, it's not um, you know, the end of the story. Right. Um, and in my own life, I've experienced racism as well. So if you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes and, and if you haven't, shame on you. But um, <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you would know that my father was from Dominican Republic and my mom from Costa Rica. My father was black. My mom was white. Uh, they, they came the, the, to this country for various reasons. Um, and um, uh, they both experienced racism. Uh, so the first priest they went to to go marry them, this is Michigan in the 1960s, refused to do so mm. uh, because they were of mixed race. Uh, and I have two brothers who are black. Um, and um, whereas I'm, I don't know if, I don't know, some of these terms seem odd. So I don't know if I'm considered a white Hispanic or not, but um, certainly uh, if I get my tan on, as it were, uh, <laughs> I pass for, for black and have. And, um, uh, and I'll never forget, uh, when we had moved from Michigan to Cleveland and I was going to a Catholic school um, run at a Jesuit parish there. And um, I'll never forget. So I was a first grader and the sixth grader just ran up to me during recess. Ne didn't know this kid from, from Adam. And he just looked to me and he yelled this racial slur, which I'm not going to repeat. Uh, and he said, racial slur, go home. Mm. Um, now I, I, I didn't know what, um, 
what the racial slur was. I, I had never heard it before. Um, but I will never forget the look of like anger uh, and hatred in this kid's face. Um, and it took me aback. I didn't know what to make of it because I, I knew I hadn't done nothing wrong right. to this kid. Um, uh, but so the, it was a clue to me right from that moment that there was something different. And what's more, there was something something in his soul and his mind that was hurting him, right? um, that was, was, was undermining his own dignity as he was reacting that way to me. Um, and there have been experiences that I've had and my family has had over the years that can be called racism. Um, uh, but it, it's, um, it's something that uh, I've paid attention to, obviously, over the years because of my own family's experience with it. Um, and especially now in the contemporary context, as everybody seems to be talking about it, um, it's something that I want to be able to look at objectively in order to be able to give a, a good Catholic response to it. So, um, Deacon Omar, I'm, and so I'm going to throw something out there, and if you're going to get to it later in this episode or next episode, please feel free to just back off Bergwald. Mm-hmm. You know, you do that to me all the time. So, <laughs> um, I, I think there can sometimes be, and this is especially in the context of politics, mm. um, people will try to balance one another. Uh, so if I feel like maybe you think or your quote unquote side thinks that racism isn't a problem, I might unintentionally over exaggerate if that's possible, the problem of racism and vice versa. If I feel like you're over exaggerating the problem of racism, I'm going to under exaggerate, uh, maybe deny the problem of racism. So again, if, if, if this is what you're going to get to later, please feel free to, to, to just tell me, but <laughs> racism exists, uh, right? I mean, in the human heart, in our country, in our civilization. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is a thing, and, I, and that dynamic that you lay out is true. It's a real one, and it's something that I see. Um, it's it's something that I think a lot of people have experienced out of frustration, certainly of um, the the problem over what we're defining as racism, which is really what I kind of want to be able to discuss today is how, how should we understand racism? Because as, as you and I well know, given our backgrounds, you know, definition of terms is, is the key yes. to everything. Yes. Um, and especially within the context of the church's teaching, uh, the definition of what it is that we're trying to speak to in terms of, uh, especially a, a moral sin, which, which is what racism is, is a moral sin, um, then uh, we need to be clear about that. Uh, but racism does exist, and, it, and we know it exists, and it will always exist because it is a sin, and mm. we live in a sinful mm. world. Um, and it's something we're not going to be able to get away from. Oftentimes, the question these days in the sort of the public policy or the political conversation of the public square is, um, what are we defining as racism? What is racism? How do I look at it? And that's where I'd like to sort of differentiate sort of three different kinds of racism that all are called racism, but may not actually always be racism. Okay. So uh, as we get into that, yes, you're right. <laughs> distinctions, the importance of distinctions, right? Um, even though I, I just alluded to politics, Again, we're looking at a Catholic perspective on racism. So we're, we, well, certainly um, politics will be raised. The perspective that we are offering today is neither a politically liberal nor politically conservative one, but a Catholic perspective on racism. Yeah, and, and with a view towards unity. Um, so that the, 
the goal, I think, of any conversation around this, and we can talk more about this in the next episode, uh, is hopefully to bring about some kind of unity so that we can have a real dialogue around this issue, because uh, that's often the problem. Mm. Pardon me, that's often the problem where we uh, we don't have much of a conversation, and what ends up happening is, uh, as you, <laughs> you well laid out, uh, either I don't want to listen to it, I don't want to hear it, because to listen to it is to suggest that somehow I have a problem or you're calling me a racist, or the other side, um, uh, you have nothing to say because you're not the right skin color, in which case you just need to shut up and, and accept that you're a racist. Right. Neither of those <laughs> positions leads to any kind of real dialogue, uh, and so they can't lead to unity. Um, so with the, the great Catholic notion of communion and unity, I want to be able to get at these, these notions of racism as they're understood colloquially, culturally. Um, and then in the next episode, we'll talk about, so how does, how does the church understand these, these definitions? Great. So if you're just tuning in and you listen to Ignition or watching Ignition uh, podcast show for the new evangelization, I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha um, about the, the problem of racism. Today, we're looking specifically at the Catholic perspective on racism. Um, and in next episode, we're going to be looking at Catholic response to racism. So uh, as a definitions then distinctions among kinds of racism is that where you want to go next Deacon? yeah um so i basically I'd, I'd like to define the phenomena that we see in society um and sort of sort of three sort of um, umbrellas uh one i'm going to call sort of natural racism uh the second is going to be i'm going to call sort of classical racism uh, and the third political racism um so with regard to natural racism, uh, the phenomenon is, is this, the, uh, where we tend to see human beings preferring members of their own tribe versus uh, those of, a, of another tribe. Um, sometimes you can just refer to this as prejudice, natural prejudice. Um, but there is something really sort of ingrained in us. If, if, if uh, any listeners or, or you, Chris, if, if you follow sort of the conversations around um, uh, biological psychology or evolutionary psychology, uh, the idea that some aspects of the human psychology or psychological landscape developed over time through evolution. Um, uh, you may be familiar with the idea that as, as a species, um, human beings are really pretty unique in the sense that we're the only mammalian species that works uh, in cooperation with each other um, in the numbers that, that we do. Mm. Uh, no other mammal <laughs> does that um, in terms of, you know, hundreds and thousands, uh, even dozens, right? Uh, very few other mammals, especially uh, primates, do that. So um, what accounts for that? Uh, part of it is our tendency to uh, be able to cooperate with each other so long as we all belong to the same tribe. And the result of that is that we tend to have suspicion of the other tribe. Um, we tend to prefer our own tribe to the other tribe. And then Generally speaking, we tend to foist upon other tribes um, uh, bad notions or, or suspicions, etc. Um, so th the reason I point this out is because there's something built into us, and that's an aspect of the fall, really. And there's something built into us where we tend to want to give the benefit of the doubt to people who will look like us, act like us, talk like us, dress like us, and to not be... Um, uh, trusting of those who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't dress like us. Mm. That is normal. It's usual, right? It's sometimes sinful, but sometimes not sinful. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it is sadly sometimes um, what people call racism, right? Uh, whereas 
uh, I'm familiar with one view, uh, and so therefore I I act according to that view, may be viewed as racism. Uh, Deacon Harold Burke Seavers gives a great example of this. He uh, He's a very large African-American uh, man. He went to Notre Dame, and he says that he was giving a speech somewhere, and um, somebody came over to him and said, uh, hey, I hear you went to Notre Dame. And, and Deacon Seavers said, yeah, I did. And he said, so what position did you play? Mm. Um, well, Deacon Harold Burke Seavers didn't go to Notre Dame to play football. He's never played football in his life. Right? He went there on an academic scholarship, not on a football scholarship. But he saw a very large African-American man and Notre Dame, and he thought, obviously, football player. Um, that's prejudice, right? Uh, that's not racism. And this is Deacon Harold Brooks Seavers saying this. Um, it's just what I'm used to, my tribe, uh, what I think, and functioning under those presumptions. Um, sometimes, though, it can be sinful, as we know, uh, where I unreasonably um, uh, foist upon other people uh, bad notions or, or suspicions. Um, but it's not always the case. So like that example with Deacon Harold, um, <clears throat> it's not racism or is it not racism because he wasn't being denigrated? His dignity wasn't being denied. It was just somebody who was making an assumption, neither, well, maybe positive, but not negative about him because of his skin color. Is that why maybe it's prejudicial, but not racist? Yeah. And that's what he explains. It's not, it's not racism because it wasn't about his race necessarily. It was, he saw a very large guy, African-American man, and he, he assumed football because that's his experience. What Deacon Harold Berksevis would say was it's born from ignorance, right? Yeah. Um, he just didn't know that this was a possibility. He'd never probably met anybody who had gotten an academic scholarship to Notre Dame um, from that particular background. So he just functioned upon his own experience and came to a conclusion uh, born from his ignorance of any other option. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, this first one, uh, first form of racism, if you will, natural racism, tribal racism, maybe sort of could be prejudice as well. Anything else to say with this one? No, I think that's that's pretty much it. Okay. I think we see a lot of that um, in lots of different ways. And interestingly enough, right, it doesn't always um, fall along uh, racial lines, right? So if you think of, especially here in the United States, amongst quote-unquote white populations, so the Irish and the Germans and the Italians having their own different communities in the Catholic yeah. sphere, right, um, they treated each other very differently because they, even though they were the same quote-unquote race, Right. They were different. They were other. Um, so it's it's sadly a part of the human experience. It's something we should always strive against, but it's not necessarily racist. One where one where one area where I I've, uh, became really um, aware of the distinction is we well, whites tend to lump all Asians together, but a uh, Korean is not uh, a, a person. A Japanese person is not a Chinese person is not a Vietnamese person. And they will let you know that very quickly. Uh, very quick. Well, some of them at least will, <laughs> you know, that yeah. very quickly. Um, okay, great. Uh, so what's the second form of racism? The second distinction. So the second one is what I call classical racism. And um, uh, by that, I mean, this is, so the, the idea of race and racism is, um, 
uh, as apart from this kind of natural racism, really starts to arise as a result of the Enlightenment. So, um, uh, just a little bit of background: that there was this rise, obviously, during this this time of the Enlightenment, of the the emphasis on reason and science, and the ability of reason and science and philosophy to come to certain truths about the human person. And one of those ideas, which comes through August Comte, is um, we can. If we know how societies work and we can study the science of social interaction, and he's the one who, who coined the phrase sociology, mm -hmm. um, then we can create the structures for the right kind of societies that would produce, you know, benefits and, and health, etc. And so there are many uh, thinkers in the Enlightenment period who thought they could do this. And, you know, Karl Marx thinks you can do it through elimination of the class struggle, but there were others who thought you can do this by the elimination of bad genes. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is sort of the rise of eugenics, right? That the, the central problem with the dysfunction in society is bad people. And so how do you get rid of bad people? Well, you find out who they are um, through crime or maybe through um, they have low IQs or something, and then you make sure they can't reproduce so that those genes don't get produced and reproduced in the gene pool. And so you have smarter and better people naturally, and then you have better societies. This is the argument of eugenics. This is the argument of Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood. This is the argument really so much of the West. And so as a result of that, um, there was a, the growing argument that some races are simply better. And by better, they meant not just smarter, but like smarter, uh, more athletic, morally superior. That's an aspect that we don't often talk about um, than other races. Um, that's classical racism. Okay. Um, that's the idea that one race is definitely better than the other. And um, uh, this is the kind of racism that um, uh, was certainly the, the case here in the United States, which was used clearly by those in support of slavery, um, was used clearly by those in support of uh, segregation and Jim Crow laws in the South, uh, that the white race or white races were clearly better intellectually, uh, morally, and physically than African-American or darker races. Uh, and this is something where today people wonder, well, that kind of racism doesn't exist in the United States. Well, actually, it does. It, it absolutely does exist. Um, there's an organization, for instance, called American Renaissance, um, which you, know, you can go look it up. I wouldn't recommend doing so. But uh, <laughs> on their own website, right, they say things like um, the uh, education gap between people of color and whites in the United States um, is a, a natural education gap. Uh, there's no way we'll ever be able to bridge it because uh, certain races simply are smarter than other races. Uh, and so if and, and any effort to try to fix the gap by through diversity training or whatever is simply a myth. That, that, that's classical racism. Uh, so and that does still exist. Yeah. So organization, certainly individuals, but even organizations within our country that say simply on the basis of what race you are, simplifying it in a sense, maybe what your skin color is, uh, you are automatically we know that you are less intelligent, moral, athletic, whatever it might be, um, than another race of a different color. Precisely. Okay. And, and that's, that works both ways, right? <clears throat> so there's an other organization that would say, by virtue of the fact that you have white skin, 
right? You are morally inferior. And we can point to history and say that because these bad things happened uh, through the dominance of the West, therefore you're morally inferior because bad things happen. And so therefore um, uh, darker races or people of color are morally superior to white people. That's that's classical racism. Okay. So do you know we have about four minutes left? Uh, the third distinction. Yeah. The, the third one is political racism. And, and this um, sort of puts this thing on its head. And what it argues is racism is defined by race plus power. Right? So uh, if you have power and you're of certain race, you are a racist. It doesn't matter what's in your heart. It doesn't matter what you think about other people. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. By virtue of the fact that you belong to a certain race and that race has social and political power. And by the way, they define power very narrowly to be socioeconomic and political power. Therefore, you are racist, which therefore means that if you belong to another race that is seen as not to have power, they cannot be a racist. And this is where you get to the, a lot of the sort of arguments about um, systemic racism yep. uh, and racism, uh, the anti-racism movement um, that attempts to try to frame everything in terms of racism, uh, in, in terms of power and and uh, you are morally inferior because you belong to a certain race. This is also critical race theory comes in here. This is right? critical race okay. theory. Yeah. Okay. And an intersectionality and all of that. Okay. Um, what's the take on, is, is there more to say to describe it? And then what's the, or a Catholic perspective on political racism? Yeah. I think the only other thing to say about it is, is it's rooted in, um, uh, instead of sort of the Darwinian notion of eugenics, which is classical racism, it's rooted in Marxist yes. ideology, um, uh, this political racism, uh, So th because power is the center of the conversation. Um, and so uh, as we attempt to respond to it, we really need to try to uh, figure out uh, where, do, where does this definition of racism uh, and how does it overlap with aspects of Catholic teaching, especially Catholic social teaching? Uh, and where does it differ? And, and that's more the conversation for, for our next episode. Okay. So in the couple of minutes we have left, I just want to, I'm glad that we have a, uh, a little bit more time with this. So mm -hmm. you said it's Marxist. So my understanding, but I, on this, you're the expert. So please feel free. Well, you always correct me when I'm wrong. So. <laughs> I have no problem. Uh, <laughs> so people may, wait, what, what, what? So um, the anti-racism, systemic racism, critical race theory come out of the Frankfurt School, um, mm -hmm. which is a school of thought in uh, that started actually in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, in the I think, late 1920s, maybe 1930s. But itself, the Frankfurt School is a, a neo-Marxist school. So um, taking Marx's idea, but not so much the class struggle, but now other cultural struggles, cu cultural dif dif uh, differences, and replacing the class struggle with these other forms of struggle. And then over the last, well several decades since then, um, all these different varieties of critical theory, um, mm -hmm. critical race theories, one of these have arisen, right? So one minute to go, Deacon, is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong, elaborate. No, that's exactly right. And, and the, 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 the Marxist paradigm, which ultimately is, falls down to there's a struggle, whether it's the class struggle or the struggle, the struggle between races or the struggle between, uh, especially with the whole trans issue. So uh, the struggle between um, uh, heteronormativity and, and other notions um, that there's a struggle of power at the center of society. And so the, the work, therefore, of intellectuals and the wider public and, and especially uh, elites and, and, and those in power is to try to make sure to grab power in order to eliminate that 
the, the differentiation in the power struggle. Um, so that central Marxist thing then is applied, let's say, to, to Freudian notions of sex or uh, to the, the notions of race, uh, which come up later uh, in, in the history. But that's essentially what's happening here. Yeah. Okay. So this has been great. So we, we, in this episode, we've been looking at sort of um, the Catholic perspective on race and that distinction between sort of natural, classical, and political racism. Next time, we will look at the Catholic response to this. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, may God bless you. 